0: Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template.
1: No judgment.
2: Way back in history, Filipinos had a developed belief system that was so extensive and deeply rooted in their way of life that certain vestiges still exist today. Even before Europeans began to explore the Philippine archipelago, the mythology of the Philippines is a collection of folktales and superstitions concerning supernatural beings that their ancestors thought actually existed. These traditions have been passed down as folklore over the years, from one generation to the next. Nowadays, adults frequently use these nightmare-inducing creatures to scare Filipino kids into obedience. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters, both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Mananungal, a body-splitting, blood-sucking, organ-eating nightmare with wings. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can also leave an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to Carrion at gmail.com. That is, C A R M A N C A R R I O N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Paul was furious when Lila accepted a job overseas without even talking to him about it first. She said that it was her dream job and that nothing was going to stand in her way. Although, if he truly loved her, then he would go with her. That street goes both ways, he thought to himself every time he replayed the argument in his head. If she loved him, wouldn't she stay in America? The Philippines was no place for a young married couple, especially if they wanted to raise children. At least that was his way of thinking. He grew up in a privileged society, so his beliefs were biased. In the end, he chose to quit his job and move with her to Angeles City, but it caused a seed of resentment to take root in his heart. Once they got there, her long hours and absence from home fed that resentment. Lonely, Paul began to spend his evenings at the Dollhouse Bar and the Midnight Rodeo. Angela City has the second largest red-light district in the world. But Paul only drank and watched the debauchery, at least in the beginning. The last time he had even seen his wife naked was the first night they had arrived, and that was two months ago. They had celebrated moving into their new home with a bottle of Big Ney wine, and he got lucky. Loneliness and bitterness do not make a good combination. They lead to bad judgment and rash actions. After that night, she had soon become distant and seemed to feel sick when she was around him. He thought it was just a ploy to push him away. He sat at the bar and watched those dark-haired, beautiful young Filipino girls leave with one man after another. He watched them dance, barely clothed, in provocative ways that made him tingle in sensitive places. He would be approached every night by two or three. He knew he shouldn't be flattered because they were just trying to make a living. But he was a man hungry for attention. So far, he had managed to maintain his fidelity but every night his resolve weakened a little more. On one rainy night, Lila had come home early. When she came through the door, he jumped up to greet her with a kiss, but she held her hand up, warning him that she wasn't interested. Paul tried to make her some dinner, hoping to butter her up, but she refused to eat. She told him she had a headache and was going to bed and took off to their room, shutting the door behind her. He was furious. Enough was enough. Grabbing his coat, he headed for the front door, only pausing for a moment when he thought he heard her vomiting in the bathroom. Serves her right, he thought. Then he left. If she didn't want to touch him, he could easily find someone who would, and he knew just where to go. He made the usual 30-minute walk in 20, and the dollhouse bar was as busy as ever. He went to the bar first and ordered a couple of shots of whiskey. Tossing them back quickly, he then scanned the room. He had become familiar with the girls' faces, but there was one in particular that he was looking for. She was one of the most beautiful creatures he had ever seen. She had approached him before, but he had always turned her down, even though she made his pulse race. He didn't have to find her. She found him. It's almost as if she sensed his need. She walked up to him, her motion so sensuous that every movement felt like foreplay. He looked at her the way a starving man looks at a juicy ribeye, his mouth even watering the same she was dressed more elegant than the other women and it was so much sexier she had on a long red dress split all the way up to the top of her hips on both sides the neckline plunged down past her navel revealing more than the dress hid her hair was like ebony and contrasted with her skin making it seem fairer her skin was a flawless light brown and smooth and all he could think about was sliding his fingers across it. She edges in beside him at the bar, causing her bare hip to brush his knee. She leaned in, and with her lips almost touching his ear, she breathed him in and then whispered, "'You smell extra yummy tonight, cowboy.'" Paul, feeling especially brave, matched her aggressiveness with a quick offer, as he slid his arm around her tiny waist. Why don't we go somewhere where you can get a taste? He didn't bother to ask her about the price, because at this point, he would pay anything. He didn't care. She put her hand over his, as she stood and led him out of the bar and down the street. They didn't have to walk far before she led him down a dark alley that came out behind one of the buildings, where a small shack stood. It looked like an old storage shed. Paul expected to walk into a living space or bedroom, but inside was some old pallets, a few boxes, and off to the corner was a dingy mattress. But the location didn't really matter. He wouldn't last that long anyway. He pulled her close and began kissing her neck while sliding his hands up her shoulders where he gently slid the sleeves of her dress down until the top was hanging at her waist he stood back long enough to take the side of her naked torso in and watched hungrily as she worked the dress past her hips and let it drop to the floor he stepped towards her again but she reached out and put her palm on his chest "'and shoved him so hard "'that he landed on the mattress with a grunt. "'She twisted her body at the waist, "'and Paul heard the sound of tearing flesh. "'Her skin was stretching in an impossible way "'as she shifted her body further around.'"
0: This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you, monsters, Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the roaring 20s. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
2: There are numerous creatures in folklore that crave the bloody innards of humans, but this creature from the Philippines is one of the most disturbing. The Mananangal has been one of the most suggested by listeners, and after finally spending time and research on this bloodthirsty monster, I know why. The Mananangal is a vampire-like creature that originated in the Philippines. She is especially dangerous because during the day she looks like a beautiful young woman but at night she transforms into something hideous and evil. She is highly skilled at hiding her true form in nature. She has friends and family and may even be married. When the sun sets and the time is right, the Mananongal grows bat-like wings, detaches her upper torso from her lower body and flies away through the night sky looking for her next victim. As she soars through the moonlight, you may be able to catch a glimpse of her intestines dangling from her split body. Some accounts say that when they massage a special lotion into their body while chanting a spell, it will result in their eyes becoming wild and enlarged and hair becoming matted. Their teeth change into long fangs, and their fingers transform into long, sharp claws. As we delve into the creepy facts about this creature, it may bring to mind the Aswang, but that's because she is actually a top of Aswang. Aswang is an umbrella term for various shape-shifting evil creatures in Filipino folklore, such as vampires, ghouls, witches, viscera suckers, and werebeasts. The manananggal is a self-separating viscera sucker. The word manananggal comes from the Filipino word tongal, which means to remove or to separate. Mananangal preys on unsuspecting sleeping victims, using her long red tubular tongue to reach through an opening in a window or door. She then feeds on her victim through their mouth, nose, ears, or their abdomen. She craves the most disgusting things, such as phlegm from someone who is sick, her hearts, livers, lungs, and intestines. But one thing that is like a delicacy to her is a living fetus. Pregnant women are believed to be her favorite prey. Some claim that the tick-tick, a little bird so named because of the sound it makes, occasionally accompanies the manananggal. The louder the tick-tick is, the further away the manananggal is. If the bird is silent, the closer she is. There are ways to keep the mananangal away from your home, such as leaving pots of uncooked rice, ash, or salt around. If the mananangal sees the mentioned items from the roof, she might not enter the house. To kill a mananangal, one needs to wait for its torso to separate from its bottom half, where it is left standing upright. You must then sprinkle salt or crushed garlic where the body was split which will make the rejoining of both the torso and the bottom half impossible. She will perish after the sun rises. In addition to being vulnerable to salt and garlic, the Mananangal also avoids daggers, light, vinegar, and the tails of stingrays. But to kill her, you must be able to first find her bottom half, which she hides very well. One of her best hiding places are banana groves because the trunks of banana trees look very much like human legs. Several origin stories for the Mananangals are found in Philippine folklore. One says that there is a black chick living inside the creature. It is transferred from a dying person to another person who is typically a relative. The chick is then said to survive inside the Mananangal's body, feeding on its host's internal organs to keep them alive. This is thought to be the cause of the Mananungal's alleged insatiable appetite for human blood and flesh and its ugly transformation. There is one way to cure a newly transformed Mananongal, by removing the baby chick from her stomach before it matures. The way this is believed to be done is by hanging her upside down from a tree and fumigating or beating her or swinging her back and forth until she gets sick enough to puke up the baby chick. If it's too late to save her from her fate, then a bamboo stick stabbed through her back is said to kill her. According to a different legend, you need a particular cream and an egg with a black chick inside of it in order to become a manananggal. You should apply the ointment on your skin and hide the egg in your armpit while reciting a particular incantation after performing this ceremony, you'll change into a manananggal. According to other legends, victims who are not immediately killed by the Mananungal, but are left alive after an attack, will eventually turn into one of the creatures. There were supposedly similar creatures in Southeast Asia that were comparable to the Mananungal. The Malaysian Penangal and the Thai Cross Sioux have traits in common with the Filipino creature. However, the Penangal and the Sioux separate their heads rather than their lower torso. One explanation for the differences between the Mananungal in the Philippines and its relatives in Malaysia and Thailand holds that when the Spaniards arrived on the islands, they modified the legend. As early as 1582, these demonic creatures have appeared in literature in Spanish missionary texts. According to the Aswang Project, the monster may have had the demon's wings added to it to match the prevalent Christian imagery of the time. In order to symbolically rob women of their sexual independence and remove them from their reproductive organs, the colonizers allegedly modified the Manananggal so that it detached from its body rather than its head. The fear of untamed women may be the root of the actual fear of the Europeans, in contrast, regional Southeast Asia may be afraid of something or someone who might be a threat to their children. Folktale monsters that are this horrifying and that have survived for so long, being retold over and over, almost always find their way into pop culture. The first horror film made in the Philippines was Mananongal in 1927, which was directed by Jose Nepomuceno. The upper body of the Mananungal, which Mary Walter plays in a silent film version of the character, separates. The movie's plot is not well known. Fast forward to 1984, and the first in a series of horror anthology movies in Shake, Rattle, and Roll. In one Pet Galaga-directed episode, Herbert Bautista portrays a teen in a remote province. A Mananungal is rumored to reside nearby and frequent the area in search of humans to feed. His grandmother assigns him the duty of eliminating the creature. He has managed to keep it from returning to its body, but now he must make it through the night in order to defend his family from the creature's attacks. Again, a man in Nongal assaults a homeless family and their neighbors in a 1992 episode of Shake Rattle and Roll 4, which takes place in the city of Manila. Nobody believes a young boy who believes a nun to be that creature. In order to avoid becoming the monster's next victim, he finds himself rushing to confirm his suspicions. Filipino artist and model Jinky Coronado began writing, drawing, and creating the graphic novel series Bonsai Girl in 2002. Its lead character Jinky Coronado is an apparently regular schoolgirl who somehow manages to have a mystery linked to two other worlds. She is compelled to fight a variety of monsters including a savage Manananggal, when her worlds start to converge. Jordan Clark's 2011 documentary, The Aswang Phenomenon, examines Aswang folklore and its effect on Philippine society. A look at the Mananongal's evolution and history from an anthropological, sexual, and popular culture perspective is presented. High Banks Entertainment, LTD, produced the show. An Aswang is seen attacking Wu's pregnant childhood friend from the Philippines in Mommy Dearest. The 58th episode overall and the 14th episode of Season 3 of the supernatural drama television series Grimm, which debuted on March 7, 2014 on the broadcast network NBC. It turns out that Wu's friend married into a family of Aswangs, and that it's her mother-in-law who is attacking the friend and threatens to kill her if she's not allowed to consume her first grandchild, which Wu's friend is carrying. There are too many film representations of the Manananggal to list them all, but I do wish that they would make a new movie with the Manananggal for the big screen. I would be the first in line. Most of the creatures that I research and talk about are scary on some level. Many of them are downright horrifying. But the Nungal's bloodlust and hunger, and her penchant for unborn children, make her one of the worst I've read about so far. Paul couldn't believe what he was seeing. This woman was bending and twisting, causing her body to tear in half. Had someone drugged his drinks? He crawled backwards on the mattress until his back was against the wall, just beneath the only window in the tiny room. He watched in horror as she separated her torso from her lower body. She stuck her hands inside and pushed herself away from her lower half. Paul almost gagged as he swallowed out of reflex. His eyes must be playing tricks on him. He watched as this beautiful woman turned into a monster. She ripped her torso from her lower half and plopped down on the mattress. There she continued to squirm as two large lumps formed on her back and began to protrude. He heard the tearing sound of flesh again as the lumps burst and two appendages stretched forth and reached across the room. Wings. This thing had grown wings in mere seconds. Paul was regretting every decision he had made up to this point. He wanted nothing more than to be back home, curled up in his bed next to his wife. But it was too late. He was here, and this was happening. He began to look around the room for any way to escape. The door was too far away. The window over the bed was his only chance. The creature began to crawl across the mattress, sniffing his skin along the way. You smell delectable. You have a woman, yes? It asked. Paul didn't know how to reply. He just blurted out, Yes, I do. She is pregnant, the monster hissed. I can smell her on you. Paul's mind was racing. He knew that if he answered wrong, he would die. Lila wasn't pregnant. He didn't think. Or was she? I I don't know. Maybe. I guess it's possible. The words stumbled from his mouth. She had him pinned against the mattress. He could feel the ooze from her dangling inside seeping through his jeans. He tried to push her off, but she just pushed him down into the mattress even harder. I'm so hungry, she hissed. But if you take me to your woman, so I can feast on the fetus, I will let you go free. Paul was disgusted by his own reply. If you do this, are you going to kill my wife? She looked like she was considering his question for a moment before answering him. No harm will come to her, she won't feel a thing. He was relieved by her answer. He just wasn't sure that he trusted her. But what other choice did he have? At least this way, he had a chance to survive. She slid off of him, serpentine-like, and used her hands to wriggle back onto her lower body. Paul closed his eyes, not wanting to see that gruesome sight again. Once she had reattached to her body and donned her dress, she held her hand out to him and helped him up off the mattress. Come, take me to your wife. It was an order, and after witnessing her strength and seeing the monster that hid behind her beautiful appearance, Paul was terrified not to comply. They left the shack and headed through the alley back to the street, arm in arm, like a couple of lovers. Paul was shaking as the grip she had on his arm was like iron, regardless of her gentle look. As they passed by the entryway to one of the larger bars, a drunken group of men burst clumsily through the doorway. One of them stumbled and fell into Paul, knocking him free of her grip in the process. He could hear her hiss in anger, but she wouldn't show her true form in a crowd. Paul realized this may be his only chance to escape. He crawled quickly through the crowd and then stood. Not looking back to see if she had saw him, he began to run as fast as he could towards home. He didn't stop running until he was at the front door, and then he only stopped long enough to unlock it and run inside. The house was dark and quiet except for the sound of Lila's sleep therapy machine. He quickly ran through the house, making sure every door and window was locked while trying not to wake her. He had his suspicions about what this thing was. He had once overheard a couple of guys in the bar talking about it. He couldn't remember what it was called, but by the way they described it, it sounded much like a vampire. If he remembered correctly, it was vulnerable to sunlight, and luckily, Sunrise was just a couple of hours away. He didn't recall what they had said about fighting one off or how to kill it, but if he could make it to Sunrise, He knew where to find someone who did. Paul sat back on the couch. He had grabbed a knife out of the kitchen and it was now laying on the table beside him. He wished that he was back home in the US where he had a gun case full of weapons far more powerful than a butcher knife. And if he was back home, this never would have happened. He was still angry at Lila. He felt like this was at least partially her fault. Then he remembered what the creature had said. She had said Lila was pregnant. He wondered then if it was true. He recalled how tired she had been and how she seemed to be nauseated a lot lately. He was even sure she had been in the bathroom puking when he had left that night. The more he thought about it, the more it all made sense, and he began to feel guilty. Not just guilty... But overwhelmingly so. An excitement began to build in his heart. He was going to be a dad, and by God, nothing was going to harm his child. Paul sat on the couch, imagining the future they had ahead of them, and was prepared to fight to the death for that future. Eventually, exhaustion overcame him, and he fell asleep. The next morning, the bright sunlight shining through the living room windows woke him. He jumped when he realized he had fallen asleep, but was relieved when he saw that it was daylight. He thought of Lila and quickly jumped up to go check on her. He found her still tangled in the sheets of their bed, sleeping soundly. Paul took a shower, trying to wash the scum of the monster off of him. By the time he came out of the bathroom, Lila was gone. She was mad at him for staying out so late, and he knew he deserved her anger. He would make things right with Lila after he made sure that she and their unborn baby were safe. After getting dressed, he headed to one of the bars that the locals seemed to favor. It was small in comparison to the ones he frequented. It was early still, but the bar was open 24 hours. Inside, there were already a few people scattered around the room. They were either morning drinkers or hadn't gone home yet. Either could be the case. Paul walked over to the bartender and ordered a beer. He wasn't here to get a buzz, but he was still trying to decide how to ask about fighting a vampiric monster without getting laughed out of the place. He decided to suck it up, no pun intended, and just get straight to the point. When the bartender returned with his beer, he asked, So I have a question that might sound crazy. The bartender just nodded his head and waited. There's a creature that I've heard locals talk about. It looks like a woman, but at night its body rips in half and it sprouts. Meninangal, the bartender stated before Paul could finish. That was it. That was the name he had heard the two men use when he overheard them that day. How do you kill a Meninangal? Paul asked him. Killing her is easy if you can find the lower half of her body. Finding it is the hard part. The bartender told him and then explained the things he would need and how to use them. He then gave him a warning. If she catches you before the sun rises, you must be prepared for a fight. Paul left the bar feeling more confident about defeating the creature. He knew in his gut that she would be looking for him tonight. Her eyes had gone wild when she mentioned the fetus his wife was carrying. He found a market and bought most of the items the bartender had told him about, several large bags of rice to put by the windows, garlic, and salt, which he was supposed to smear onto the creature's severed lower half to prevent her from reattaching to it. He asked around about a stingray tail that he was told he could use to stab her with but no one knew where he could find one. Deciding it would be easier to find a dagger, he set out to search for stores that may sell them. When he had exhausted every possible nearby option after looking in every resale and hardware store that he could find, he realized he may have to expand his search. He knew that a dagger and the other things would only help ward her off or fight her if she broke through, so he had to be prepared just in case she found them before trying to rejoin her body. Using his phone, he googled where to find daggers in Angeles City and found a place literally called Swordmaker in Pampanga. But it would take him almost two hours to walk there, so he held a cab. Just 20 minutes later, the cab pulled up in front of a small shop. Its small size was deceiving. Once he stepped inside, he was amazed at the number of katanas, bolos, and other bladed weapons displayed. If his mission wasn't urgent, he could have spent the afternoon there looking at the beautiful crafted works. Forcing himself to focus, it took him no time to find a dagger that suited his idea of what he needed. He found a dagger that was 12 inches long, with a blade made of high-carbon steel, and a handle carved from kamagong iron wood. Satisfied with his purchases, he headed home and began to prepare them for each of their specific uses. He crushed half the garlic and put it in a sealed bag. He then grabbed a backpack and put the salt and garlic inside along with the dagger. Before leaving, he poured the uncooked rice into bowls and placed a bowl in each room of the house. He had an idea where the creature may split in half and leave her body. So right before sundown, he headed back to the old shack where she had taken him the night before. He hid behind a stack of barrels and waited for the sun to completely set. He felt a little foolish at times while squatting there in the alley. He knew his friends back home would have a good laugh if they could see him now. The moment the sun's last ray disappeared from the sky, Paul heard a crash, and then the sound of flapping wings. He couldn't make out the figure well, but there was no denying those wings. He remembered them very clearly. She was gone, off into the night to hunt. He didn't know how much time he had, so he hurried to the shack and busted open the door. The room appeared to be in the same order as the night before, but there was no sign of the creature's lower half. He looked in every corner and found nothing. He was about to leave when a bloody stain on the clump of sheets laying on the mattress caught his eye. He bent down and grabbed the sheet and threw it back. There, laying on the bed, was the disgusting torn lower half with her legs that he had been looking for. He had to fight not to gag as he pulled the mashed garlic out of his bag and began rubbing it onto the severed area. He should have brought gloves or a basting brush or something, but he didn't, so his hands would have to do. After he had used all of the garlic to cover the entire area, he then sprinkled salt all across it. He made good time and there was no sign of the creature's return when he left. He made his way home quickly, with a mounting panic that the creature may see him and follow him. His panic was well-founded, but what he didn't know is that her sense of smell was so strong that she could sniff out him or Lila with ease. When he arrived at the house, Lila was in the kitchen. She had prepared a nice meal and had been waiting on him. She noticed the stress that was causing creases to line his forehead and eyes. Are you okay? She asked him. You look like you had a pack of wolves after you. Dropping the backpack by the door, he smiled and walked over and pulled her into a hug. I have been stressing over us. I love you and I want things to work, no matter where we live. I'm sorry for the way I've acted. He didn't tell her that there was a much more terrifying reason for his stress. She hugged him back, and she apologized as well. I'm sorry, too. I've had a lot on me since we moved. I haven't been feeling well. We need to talk about that, by the way. She pulled a pregnancy test out of her pocket. I wanted to be sure before I told you. He looked down at the test and saw what he already knew would be there, a big plus sign. Paul feigned surprise, but the tears were real. They ate dinner together and then spent the evening talking about the baby. Would it be a boy or a girl? What would they name it? Where would they find an English school there in Angeles City for the kid to go to when the time came? Distracted during the emotional evening, Paul never noticed that Lila had found the bowls of rice earlier and had dumped them in the trash. When it was time to go to bed, Paul tucked Lila in like she was a little girl and told her he wanted to shower, and then he would come straight to bed. He was afraid that he smelled like garlic, so when he got to the bathroom, he opted for soaking in the tub instead. He turned on the water as hot as he could stand it, and pulled his shirt over his head and tossed it to the floor. Next, his jeans quickly followed. He was about to take off his boxers when he heard a strange sound coming from the bedroom. He thought it sounded like Lila was choking, so he went to check on her. He immediately felt a draft like a window was open. The bedroom was dark and it took a minute for his eyes to adjust. As they did, He saw the curtains fluttering, where the window had been opened, and he saw movement by the bed. At first he thought it was just Lila rolling over, but then he noticed the wings. They weren't spread open, but tucked behind her back. She had found them. For a few moments he was frozen in place, not sure what to do. In those short moments he watched, horrified as an impossibly long tongue slid out of the creature's mouth and into Lila's. She never even flinched. Paul grabbed a tall lamp that stood in the corner of their room. It had a long metal stand, and he turned it to use as a weapon. He rushed over to the bed and began beating the creature over the head. She let out a screech that was a cross between a woman's scream and the cry of a vulture. Her long, slimy tongue was yanked from Lila's throat, and she stumbled to the floor. She used her wings like legs to stand and looked at Paul, like she was thinking about charging him. But instead, she turned and took flight, crashing through the half-opened window. Paul ran to Lila, who had not moved through the whole ordeal. He brushed her hair back from her face and said her name. Lila! Lila! Are you okay? He put two fingers on her neck, checking for a pulse, but he felt nothing. Oh my God, Lila! A sharp stab of fear sliced through his heart before he laid his head to her chest and listened. It was there, barely. He could hear her heartbeat. He began to feel through his pocket, searching for his phone. But the sound of shattering glass stopped him. It had come from the living room. He didn't have time to make a call. He had to get to the backpack that held the dagger. He remembered dropping it by the front door earlier, so he grabbed the lamp and held it like a bat as he made his way quietly to the living room. The room was dark except for the light shining from the stove in the kitchen. He could see tiny pieces of glass scattered across the floor. Paul eased his way around it, careful not to cut his feet all the while not sensing the dark figure of the creature clinging to the ceiling above him. He saw the backpack and reached for it, but was stopped short when something slimy slithered and wrapped around his neck. He began trying to pry it off with his fingers, but it was too tight. He could hear the pounding of his heart beating in his ears as it sped up. Unable to free himself, He used his weight to pull and flung himself to the floor. The result was a loud thud and hissing that came from behind him. The grip on his neck loosened slightly, and he used that moment to grab the backpack and pull out the dagger. He saw the creature crawling across the floor towards him, and he began carving with the knife at the thing wrapped around his neck as he realized that it was her tongue. She was screeching in anger, baring her fangs as she reached him. Crawling up his body, she dug her claws into his bare skin. She paused only long enough to glare into his eyes before plunging her fangs into his neck. The tongue slid slowly from Paul's neck and back into the monster's mouth as she began to drain him. Distracted by her apparent victory, she was caught unaware when he plunged the cold iron of the dagger deep into her naked chest. With an ear-splitting, monstrous scream, the manananggal pulled back and took flight, crashing into the ceiling several times before escaping through the window. Paul dropped to the floor, exhausted and weak, but he didn't die. Instead, he slept there on the floor until morning. When he woke, it was raining, and the sound of rumbling thunder filled the house. His head was pounding with pain, but he was alive. He took in the wreck of the room around him and remembered. Fear once again gripped his heart as he jumped from the floor, almost crumpling from the nauseating dizziness that overtook him, combined with the pain in his head. He had to get to Lila. That was his only thought and with determination and great effort, he stumbled his way to the bedroom. He found her there, still in bed, curled up in the fetal position. At first, he was afraid that he was too late. Then he saw the rise and fall of her chest. Relief swept over him, and he crawled into bed beside her and pulled her into his arms and slept. Paul didn't know how much time had passed until he woke. But Lila was still there beside him. She was sleeping like someone who had been drugged, but her heart rate and breathing were good. He knew that even though he was still hurting and exhausted, he had to go and make sure that it was over. Because Lila was not at work, the car was in the driveway. So with the dagger hidden in his pocket, he took the keys from her purse and drove back to town, to the little shack. He hesitated for a moment to open the door. Rain was dripping from the roof and rolling down his face. He was afraid of what he may find, so he took a deep breath before opening it. Inside, he was immediately overwhelmed by the stench of burnt flesh and decay. But there, on the floor, lay a pile of ash, blood, and bones. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, Such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarion at gmail.com. That is C A R M A N C A R R I O N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the Bunny Man, a killer legend with a fuzzy white tail and a hatchet. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.